0: All right, all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Uh, Let's see. Let me get the boilerplate out of the way, then, shall we? If you enjoy the product, first of all, thank you. Second... Please like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. I would encourage you to interact with the product in some capacity. It helps. The algorithm is an unknowable eldritch monstrosity that must be fed and hopefully contained. Uh, On the agenda this evening, what do we got? Last night, UFC on ESPN 49, an event that was not great on paper and... In practice, uh, how do I say this? It has meme value. Is that fair? That's a little bit dismissive of some of the fights and performances, but we'll go over it. Suffice to say, for the most part, look, when what everyone's talking about the next day is, generally speaking, Chelsea Chandler literally turning and running away from Norma Dumont, then uh, not a whole lot else happened. So, we'll, we'll figure this out. Um, we'll go through all of it, and, uh, yeah, again, per usual. Let's see, also, this coming Saturday, UFC on ESPN Plus 82. The UFC is back in London, and they've brought a 15-fight card. That's just too many fights. It's too many fights. Uh, headlined by a returning Tom Aspinall, who is making his return after, uh, about a year to the day, actually, after that, um random but pretty bad knee injury he suffered when he fought Curtis Blade. So. Aspinall had been a pretty good prospect. So. We'll have a full preview that for that, of course, but that's your main event. Uh, then there's news. A couple of big pieces of news actually broke this week. We have stuff about Francis Ngannou, the UFC's light heavyweight division. Um, yeah, there's stuff. So We don't have too much time here, so let me just say before I move on, thank you as always for listening. Deeply appreciate... Any and all of you. All right, let's get started. UFC on ESPN 49. Main event. Um, <clears throat> I was wrong about this one. I know why. I'll talk about why in a second. Uh, Myra Buena Silva defeats Holly Holm via Ninja Choke standing. Usually the Ninja Choke is standing. It doesn't have to be, but usually if you phrase it that way, standing is kind of implied. Uh, second round. Cotter, with that, that's only the um, that's only the third time Holly's been finished in her career. The other two were um, Misha Tate and Amanda Nunes. First round went to home. It wasn't terribly exciting. It was a pretty typical Holly home fight. She got a couple of blitzes off. Buena Silva landed a couple of right hands. There was a lot of clinching. Holly controlled most of it. Won the round. <clears throat> Second round, we're getting more of the same. But during one of the clinches, Holly looks to kind of change levels and is not diligent about arm position. And because she's not, her head kind of falls into the ninja choke position, which is like a rear naked choke grip, but from the front. So you get your arm all the way around, you get their their throat in the crook of your elbow. Then you grab your own bicep on the other side. It's a powerful choke. It's hard to really finish, because there's a... Uh, you don't see it more often, because it's not too hard to prevent. But it is very hard to escape. Not impossible, very hard. Because that's a... Dude, that figure four grip, if you've never messed around with like what you can do with it, it's a powerful grip. So, dude, Myra Buenasilva is... She was being slept on by a lot of people, i include myself in this. She's never actually lost a bantamweight. I kind of figured Holly Holm could do what Manon Fjord did to Buenosilva, Silva. And you saw a little bit of that, but there's a couple of things that were different. Um, one, the weight cut, because that was a flyweight fight. Buenosilva Silva at flyweight was pretty severely diminished. So I think that played a role. The stance switching that Fior Fjord doesn't do a ton of stance switching, but she attacks off of both sides. Um, Holm's weapons are a bit more known at this point. The smaller cage also played a role. I'm not saying that this would have gone... Given the strategy Holm was employing, I don't know how much that would have changed in a 30-foot cage instead of the 25-footer, but I think we'd be remiss not to mention that that did play a role. Now, it's a known role. Everybody knows what's up with that, but that was part of the equation, and it just needs to be said out loud. Uh, That said, so the smaller cage hurt Holly. Her age, I think, is catching up to her. Um, One of my brothers, when they showed the shot of her walking into the... Uh, not not into the cage, but uh, like arriving at the venue. Um, One of my brothers who watched was walking by and looked at her and went... Wait, did she just get out of a fight? Like, she... <laughs> uh, she'd been, I don't know, training hard would be my assumption, but... Dude, at 41... Like, I respect the heck out of Holly Holm. She was a world-class boxer. She's in the Boxing Hall of Fame. UFC champion. Long UFC career. Winning UFC career. But she's been doing this for a long time. Age is catching up to her. It's... I want... I'm not calling for her to retire tomorrow. But we are probably getting towards that point with her. Um... You know, of all the of all the stats that you can have for fighters, one of the more telling ones is actually age. Now, this changes a little bit depending on which division we're in, but any time you get to about that 8, 9, 10-year age gap, especially if we're talking 30 to 40, like that gap, that almost always goes the way of... I shouldn't say almost always. Majority of the time. Clear majority, mind you. We're talking like 60-ish percent, depending on which of those specific age gaps we're talking about. And which division? But that gap, that's a big one. And again, you get around that 60, 50 to 60 percent win rate for the younger fighter in that respect. So they should win that. Uh, Post fight, Buena Silva said she wants to fight Juliana Pena for the bantamweight title, which is vacant. Uh, They might do that. They might. That's a possibility. Um, let me, uh, I was going to have this as a separate news item down in the bottom, but it works here, so let me do it here instead. So, rumor has it that Ronda Rousey's uh, contact with the WWE is going to be up this later this year. Um, and, look, I don't know how true this is, rumors are swirling about her maybe coming back to the UFC. Again, I don't know how true that is. Some of the stuff I'd heard was like... If she was, it was going to be more at 145... Because she doesn't want to deal with the weight cut. And I mean, she's had a couple... She's had at least one kid since then. So that can mess with your... Body. So she might... 135 just might not be terribly feasible. As a thought. Um, She was seen... I don't know, I mean, look, Coach Edmund kind of... Had... Ugh. I'll, I occasionally wonder how far Rhonda could have actually gone if she'd been in a real gym with a real coach. Occasionally wonder that. But she her potentially showing up is a pretty big monkey in the wrench, isn't it? Um because look man, women's Bantamweight is kind of a wasteland. It's just It hasn't actually changed all that much since Rhonda left. Which is kind of crazy to think about, but there it is. You've got Holly Holm near the top. You've got Raquel Pennington. (sighs) Nunes was, you know, the champion. And, like, it's just, you know, where's the life in that division? It doesn't have any. Rhonda would represent that. I don't know how much I like her chances, but that kind of. They might run her and Misha Tate back for the belt. As crazy as that is, and as utterly undeserved as it is on all sides for that, uh, with that one, by the way, that's something they might do. They need to do something. If we're talking about most deserving, at this point, my hunch is it would be, yeah, Juliana Pena. Well, maybe not Pena. Bueno Silva, with this win, I, should be in that title fight. Timing dependent. I mean, if they're trying to do something very quickly and she's not available... Okay, her next fight should be for the title, whether that's for the vacant one or the UFC crowns a new champion between now and then, somewhat pursuant to the needs of the promotion, right? But the beyond that, you again you could do Pena. Um jeez, who else could you do? Let me have a quick look. How are the rankings these days for women's bantamweight? Yeah, and you got Pennington. These need to be updated. Ah, Ketlin Vie... The other ones there are like Ketlin Vieira, Irina Aldana, Penny Kianzad. Like, there's not... There are just not good options here. Um, Not even... They have Norma Dumont listed here. I'm not even sure she can reliably make 135. Has she ever made 135 in the UFC? I think she tried once and missed. Now, that might have changed now. She might be able to do it now, but like... I mean, she's way down there too, but... I'm just looking at the division. And it's not good. It's not good, so... Buena Silva should be involved in a title fight next. If you don't put her in there for the vacant belt, I Are we going to do Juliana Pena and Raquel Pennington, really? Is that where we are? Does that would... That would be rough. That would be a rough... That's just a bad spot for the division. There's not another way to say it. It's a bad spot for the division. So, Anyway, that was your main event. Good win for Buena Silva. And we might be done with Holly Holm main events for a while. Which... I mean, Twitter was celebrating. I'm not as inclined to celebrate that. Not because I think Holly Holm's fights are universally great or anything. But it's never... There's very few fighters whose decline I am, like, celebratory of. And Holly's not one of those people, so... All right, that was your main event. Not a whole lot there. More interesting for the implications than for the how the fight itself played out. Uh, co-main event. I did not really preview this one because it did not get announced when I was recording this. There was, I had mentioned that Jack Della Maddalena was looking for a fight after he, he had a couple of ones fall through for UFC 290. They did find him an opponent. He was in the co-main event. I had no problem picking him in the dark. We got a better fight than I think most people were considering or expecting here, so. But that's why he's here. Uh, that poor guy had two weight cuts in a week. Like, he actually weighed in for UFC 290, or most of the way for it, because uh, he was in the process of weight cutting when they found uh, the issue with his replacement opponent. Dude, He's not the biggest welterweight uh, th- there's some big guys at welterweight. He's not, a, he's not a midget for the division. But he's not one of these guys that you look at and go, how in the world does he make 170? You look at him and go, yeah, that, that's probably about right. But that's still, like, doing that to your body twice in that rapid succession, that is not advisable. Um, I'm sure that affected his performance. He won. Sorry, let me talk about this. So JDM defeats uh, Basil Hafez via split decisions. These were 29-28s. And of course, our semi-sentient can of tomato soup at ringside, Sal D'Amato, decided to go 29-28 for Hafez. I... no. No. Look, Hafez wildly overperformed relative to expectations, partially because most people weren't giving him much of a chance. And he won the first round. The argument for him winning the second is trying to pretend that his holding top half guard... And doing nothing with it is more important and impactful to the fight than the fact that JDM outlanded him by a wide margin and hurt him a couple of times. So, no, I just I I don't agree at all. Uh, if if Afez had done something with his top position, might have muddied the waters. But given how thing how this actually went, if he'd had a dominant position too, maybe we could rethink that. But half guard is... You gotta do something with that. Now you have the back you can get by winning the round just by having the back because it's such a dominant position, in my opinion. But half guard, nah, you gotta you gotta do something with that, so... Uh, this was your fight of the night? I don't object to that. Hafez, explosive guy, yoked. That's a muscular dude for uh, 170. Pretty good takedowns. Um... Especially early. He had a few good ones. Della Madalena kept jumping for this guillotine. Um, which I don't understand. It, I don't think it was ever all that close. A couple of times I think he did it as a, well, crap, I'm going down, I might as well. Which, if you're... If you're not able to do anything other... If it's like grab the guillotine on the way down for control... Or get taken down without having control over your opponent's head... If it- if you can't do anything else to stop the takedown... I can see it as you're like, last order, alright, we might as well. And I think there was at least one of those that fell into that category. I gotta give Hefez credit for a couple of things. Um, very physically strong guy. Pretty good scrambling. Uh, he's really good. Some of this might be JDM still not being great about defending this stuff, but he's really good at getting some kind of leg control. There's a few of these takedowns that he got that he sh- probably shouldn't have, and some of that is JDM not necessarily uh, having all the nuance down of some of these specific takedowns. Some of it was Hafez even if he couldn't really get you down, if he can get a hand behind your knee, if he can get something to grab onto, get kind of a wedge on your body, must be strong as an ox, man, because he's yanking and pulling and moving around JDM. Uh, so I think his ability to kind of collect and control and influence how you're able to move by messing with your legs went a little bit underappreciated by some of the Twitter punditry. I might feel different if I rewatch it, but that's just, that's my read on it after, you know, what what I did see. Uh, there were some good striking exchanges here. Uh, that's kind of to be expected with JDM. Um, his body work is nasty. He hurt Hafez to the body a couple of times. Uh, one really fun sequence, actually, he had him against the fence. He had his his he um bleh. he didn't have like the rush. I think he might have actually started as kind of a Russian two on one, the Russian arm position in wrestling, and he just wound up grabbing wrist control, his left hand grabbing the left wrist of uh, Fez, and then used that to pull him around and then punched him while holding onto it. It was kind of cool. Yeah, again, about that second round. Damage and impact on the fight is more important than than holding a control position. Had everything else been equal, control would matter more, but it wasn't. Third round was all JDM. Um, commentary is really getting on my nerves about scoring. And both Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier can't quite seem to... Who are our commentators for this? This is not unique to them. They were the ones doing it here, so I'm going to use them to make the point. Not an only them problem. Their inability to articulate the appropriate scoring criteria, not just criteria, but like how it's implemented. The third round doesn't matter more than the second or the first. you and I know these are not stupid people, much as I dislike Cormier's commentary style. He's not a dumb man. But the way they talk about scoring, especially down the stretch, like, well, he might be winning this round. That means he might win the fight. No, he lost the first two rounds. Like, Not this fight in particular, but in general. It, It's just aggravating to listen to the professional broadcast, not understand how this works. Or even not be able to explain and articulate how this works. It's not that complicated. It's really not. But, here we are. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a problem. That was a real problem. Uh, for taking this fight on short notice, get, I'm going to give Hafez more of his props. Dude came to fight. Fought one of the rising contenders in the division. Gave him a heck of a fight. I don't think he won. But... He... I'm very curious to see what he does next. A strong guy for the weight class. Pretty dynamic takedowns. Curious to see what he does against someone more... I hate to say more his level, but, you know, more uh, more appropriate matchmaking than a guy in the top 15 on a week's notice. This is not great for anybody. Uh, th- I would like to see them try to rebook the Sean Brady fight. Here's the thing about this. Sean Brady, dominant grappler, so if he had been able to get JDM down the same way that Afez did, things might have gone badly. By the same token, let's not... look um Bilal Muhammad finished like one guy in the last five years and it was Sean Brady on the feet so you're dealing with guys who have strengths where each other is weak and that's a valuable thing it's a valuable thing to find out in the cage so that's pursuant to Brady being able to return of course but I would like them to rebook that fight if possible so good fight he said fight of the night no issues with that. Uh, lightweight Francisco Prado defeated Atman Azitar via TKO punches four or five of the first. So minor aside here. Apparently the, among others, the Azaitar brothers are implicated in having some quasi nefarious hold over the king of Morocco. Uh, there was a there was a written piece about this. That I think it likened them to the uh, to Rasputin those familiar with this with uh, that bit of imperial russian history um and i'll trust the reporting from that particular publication um hang on which one was it i want to make sure i cite this properly uh yeah the economist i think is the primary source for this like <laughs> it's uh it's a weird thing it's a weird thing not really uh just something to know because you know mma is mma anyway um Prado stopped him in the first round, hit him with a really nice combination along the fence. Good body shot, followed by a left hook. Azaitar looked a little slow. Um, He's got power, obviously, but Prado backed him up pretty easily. And along the fence line, he was not quite as dangerous. Again, dropped him, got on top. Azaitar wasn't thrilled with the stoppage, but it was fair from where I sat. He was on top dropping... Hammer fists, and... It might have been an easier stoppage to stomach for some people had it happened earlier, actually, because... It's one of those things where I think he went out a little bit and then the continued hits to the head kind of revived him enough to move. Um, solid win for Prado. Uh, middleweights. Ah, my boy! <laughs> I don't know why I have a soft spot for this guy, but... Junyoung Park, the... Iron Turtle defeated Albert Duraev via rear naked choke 445 of the second decent little fight here uh, Duraev comes out swinging bombs land some of them, but Park just he's hard to hurt not impossible, but he's hard He got his jab working and he bloodied up Duraev's nose uh, It took him a bit to get going. It's a little bit like pardon the obvious reference here a little bit like the tortoise and the hare You know the hare came out Duraev came out hard and fast but slow and steady won the race uh some nice again nice body work from park along the fence line dropped him oh sorry minor correction confusing these prado took down his eye with a spinning elbow that opened a pretty nasty cut um kind of the back right portion of his head not like all the way around on the back like an illegal blow but it was up high pretty nasty cut this was your body shot to left hook uh, that drop Durayev, Park gets on top, gets the back. He spends a while trying to choke him out. Can't quite find it for a while. Eventually gets him flat, which makes it easier. Uh, lands Lance punches, gets the choke. Good little fight here. Uh, an entertaining one. Definitely worth your effort to check out. If, if for no, th- no other reason, then you have to see Park's somewhat hilarious celebratory dance. That was a good time. Uh, women's featherweight up next, which may not be a division in the near future. Norma Dumont defeated Chelsea Chandler via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the boards. I might have been 30-26. Chandler came out, tried to be aggressive early, and Dumont cracked her a couple of times. Chandler literally turns and runs away. This has been memed into oblivion after 24 hours. Like that That's it. It's going to get worse, but this is what people are talking about, is that moment when Chandler not circles turns away not even looking over her shoulder and just runs towards the fence and Chandler and uh Dumont runs her down Chandler's got toughness she's willing to go forward but there's a lot lacking in her game there's a lot lacking Dumont was better on the counter landed better punches anytime they got on top Chandler's bottom game looked <sighs> relatively novice. She struggled a bit with trying to get anything going. She had options for, like, angling for armbars and whatnot because Dumont was a little slow to follow her hips. Just never got anything going. Um, Dumont says she wants to, you know, fight for the featherweight title, which I'm pretty sure they're going to retire. But if they don't, she's one of the few, like, genuine featherweights on the roster, so to speak. And kicking off the main card, Nazim Sadikov defeated Terrence McKinney via rear naked choke 107 to the second. Another decent enough fight. Uh, McKinney had a pretty good first round, was able to out-wrestle Sadakov for most of it, couldn't mount much damage. Had his back for a long period of time. Second round, Sadikov comes out, lands some damage, presses McKinney back, gets the takedown, gets the back, takes him a, another instance of it taking a little bit to find the choke. But eventually he found it. Um, in fact, kind of the... Some of the finishing sequence positions between um, the Park and Daria fight and this one, there were some similarities. Um, he gets the choke, gets McKinney out of there. Good win for Sadikov, who said he wants to fight on the upcoming Madison Square Garden card. He's he's Azerbaijani, but I think he was raised almost entirely in Brooklyn. I know he fights out of there. He fights out of Saralongo, the Saralongo camp. So I'm. So he wants to be on that. That's going to be a stacked card, so I don't know if they'll be able to get him on there, but he got a good win here. So that was your main card. Moving on. Uh, Melsic Bogdasarian defeated Tucker Lutz via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Not sure I understood the game plan from Lutz here. Anytime he got Bogdasarian down, the holes in that guy's game are very, very evident down there. On the feet, though, Lutz didn't have a great answer for the southpaw stance, um, which is what Bagdasarian normally fights out of. It was a weird thing to not really be ready for. Uh, wasn't really prepared to handle the footwork. Kind of followed a lot. Um, clinched. He got some takedowns, but he never... He struggled to make do make use of most of them. Um, Bagdasarian needed the rebound win here, uh, so good for him in that respect. I still don't think he he's still training primarily out of uh, Glendale, the Glendale Fight Club. I still don't think he's ever going to really go places with that, with that team. But uh, partially because you, you can see how Lutz could have won this. And it's the same way the last guy did beat him and the same way the guy before that had success. These are holes that need to be addressed and he's not really fixing them. Uh, women's strawweight. We had our injury of the evening. Uh, Victoria Dudikova defeats Estela Nuñez via arm injury TKO 34 seconds into the first round. So Dudikova goes for a single leg, kind of a low single. As Nuñez is looking to go down and spin out of it, she posts on her left arm, and the elbow dislocates. Entirely. Um... The x-rays were posted. I think Dana White posted them on his Instagram. So you can see the aftermath. You can also see the injury if you're so inclined. Um, that was... I remember watching um, you know when that happened to Shogun. He did it in the Mark Coleman fight. This was worse. This was a worse injury than that. So thank, when I say thankfully only a dislocation, that doesn't mean it's easy to rehab. There's ligament damage with that. Um obviously, the x-ray only shows the bones, but you can see how badly it was dislocated, and it did, they were able to reset the joint, but don't know how severe any of the damage was to, again, the ligaments in particular, maybe the tendons. Tendons are usually a little bit harder to really, not impossible to damage, but in that kind of scenario, they tend to shift side to side. They're out of position once the joint is dislocated. It's the ligaments that tend to be strained or ruptured um, when you do that. So hopefully Nunes is able to recover. That was a again, that was a bad injury. Not much to talk about in a 30-second fight. Featherweights: um Ozil Costa defeated Austin Lingo via unanimous decision, in 30-26 and 2-30-27s. Lingo got behind the eight ball early and he seemed to be counting on Costa to fade in rounds two and three. Which is not the worst strategy, but you have to make somebody fade. No fighter, if they're allowed to fight on their own terms, is going to just fall apart doing what they're they're comfortable doing for 15 minutes. He let Costa kind of do what he was comfortable doing. Costa just far superior on the feet, picked him apart, beat him up, nasty body kicks. Um... Solid, solid performance from Costa all the way around. Lightweights, Evan Elder defeated Gennaro Valdez via unanimous decision. 30-26, uh, 29-28, and 29-28. Um... I don't think I had an issue with the 10-8 here. It's weird to go, the, like, to say that both the 29-28 and the 30-26 are both justified, but I think they are. Um, Elder another guy who just kind of got ahead early and stayed ahead. He, that, that's underselling Valdez a little bit, who fought bravely, had some success. I think he dropped, was it the second round he hurt Elder? And Elder, like, technically dropped him in all three rounds, usually in the beginning, just catching him well-timed with left jabs or left hooks. But he got hurt pretty badly and dropped in the second, it was the second round, I remember. Um, with a nice right hand from Valdez, but Elder recovered, got back, won rounds two and three. Um, Good little fight. This might have been your fight of the night if not for uh, JDM and Hafez. At flyweight, Azat Maksim defeated Tyson Nam via split decision, 29-28s. I'm okay with 29-28 either way. This was a pretty close fight. Nam's a relatively tough draw for your UFC debut. But Maxim, especially down the stretch in the third round, you started to see what he was really good at. Like his jab started working, some of his combination punching. He seems to rely a little bit on the threat of takedowns to help open up some of his offense. And when it became clear that Nam could easily defend them, he had to re- he had to adjust. Um, and he did down the stretch. But again, decent enough little flyweight fight. And a win over Tyson Nam is nothing to sneeze at. Let's see. Lightweight. Alexander Munoz defeated Carl Deaton via unanimous decision. 30-26, 30-27, 29-28. Weird fight. No issue with Munoz winning. Just a weird fight. Munoz didn't do a whole lot, but when he did stuff, it was the most important stuff of the fight. He hurt Deaton multiple times. Uh, No issues with the 10-8 here. I think it was the third round that you really could have gone that way, so... I don't know. Munoz, but you might recall on like one of the it might have been season one of Dana White's contender series when they brought in Nick Newell. Um, Munoz is the guy who beat him on the contender series and I don't think was awarded a contract like five years ago. Anyway, he made it to the UFC eventually. Um, got a win. Not much to say there. And kicking everything off, Eileen Perez defeated Ashley Evan smith Wide unanimous decision, two 30-25s and a 30-26. Ashley Evans-Smith was coming off of a long layoff due to a failed drug test, and Perez just beat the brakes off of her. Got her down with ease. Solid top control, ground and pound, positional dominance. 30-25 is entirely justified from where I sit. Completely. Perez just, again, smashed her. Alright, and that was the event. Better than the ver- very low expectations, but I think, again, what we're going to most remember is some of the memory. I think, probably. Just one of those nights. What are you going to do? When you run these things every week, pretty much, that's going to happen. Uh, your bonuses, I mentioned already Fight of the Night, JDM, and Hafez, no issues. Performances went to Myra Buena Silva and Francisco Prado. Finishes were at a premium here. Um. I mean, we only had a few. We only had Main Event, Prado, Sadakov, Park, and then the injury. So believe that. So there were only four finishes. You could have gone with any combination of those four finishes and I think been fine. So I'm not going to... Bueno Silva definitely deserved one. As for the other three, you could have picked any of them. Wouldn't have mattered. They were all deserving. So if you want my full report, that's in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Go stop by. Say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. um, It didn't take very long at all. All right. Let's move on. UFC on ESPN plus 82. This coming Saturday, they will be at the O2 Arena in London, England. Another very large card here because 15 fights for some reason. 15 fights for our 15th trip to London. How about that? Yeah. Vegas cards would never end if they used that logic. (laughs) So, main event. I already mentioned it, but it's Tom Aspinall. He is returning from injury against Marcin Tabora. It's an understandable draw for a return. Tabora is not a slouch. He's 37. Heavyweights age a little differently. He's on a decent enough streak lately. I mean, he's only lost in his last, what, eight fights? Hang on. Five, six, seven. 6, 7... Yeah, he's 7-1 and one in his last 8. That loss was to Alexander Volkov. Two-fight winning streak at the moment. Wins over Alexander Romanov and then Blagoy Ivanov. Aspinall, already mentioned, had that knee injury. I don't quite... I'm curious to see how Aspinall looks coming off of that. And here's the thing. Aspinall, as he was prior to the injury, I would have picked pretty easily. He's got fast hands, he's pretty mobile for a heavyweight, he's a good grappler. I'm still going to pick him, for the record, but with the injury layoff, I i don't think it's wrong to look at Tabora and think he's got a real shot at winning this. Prior to that, I would have given him much less chance as it currently stands. I've just got to see how Aspinall looks. He might pick up right where he left off, in which case he's going to bulldoze to Borda, which is hard to do. So if he's able to pull it off, that's very impressive. That's the co event: Molly McCann and Yulia Stolyarenko, They are giving Molly McCann about as easy a setup fight as they. After, dude, after they said, "Sure, go fight Aaron Blanchfield," and Blanchfield just massacred her. Took her down, beat her up, elbowed her in the face. Kimora done in 337. I mean, Blanchfield is maybe the next champion. Like, she's that good. But, you know, you had McCann like, yay, I'm starting to rally the London people behind me and I've got a big personality and I've got three wins in a row and two of them are finishes and, okay, here's her in Blanchfield to just take your hype out behind the shed and just put it down. She's going to have a good reaction here because, you know, Brit fighting in in Britain, but... I think she'll win. It's, not a f- it's pretty close to a gimme. Stolyarenko's UFC record is 1-4. and four. This is a gimme. It's as close to a gimme as she's going to get. So I imagine she'll win. Pretty good fight here, actually. Next up, featherweights. Nathaniel Wood and Andre Feely. Um, Wood has looked pretty good since moving to featherweight. He's 2-0 and at featherweight. The rest of his career was at bantamweight. Wins over Charles Jor- um excuse me, Charles Rosa and then Charles Jordan. He looked really good in both of those. Um Feely is a pretty stiff acid test though. Um Feely coming off a split decision win over Bill Algio. That was his first win since twenty twenty. Feely's never gonna be champion. Um, but he's he's a tough out. He's a tough out who's gonna test you. I mean his losses during that stretch are Sadiq, Yusuf, Bryce Mitchell Joe Anderson, Brito, had a no contest with Daniel Pineda. Those are very good guys. I'm still going to lean towards Wood here. Feely's got power, and he's kind of rangy, but he's struggled with guys who are super technical, and Nathaniel Wood is super technical. So I tend to think that's going to be a problem. He doesn't deal well with leg kicks either, Feely. Wood has some nasty calf kicks, so... I'm... I'm leaning towards Wood here. Let's see. Middleweight. Paul Craig at middleweight. Interesting proposition. Um, He's fighting Andre Muniz. That's a tough draw. We're probably going to see some fun grappling here. I don't know how Craig's going to look at middleweight. He's a big guy. He's, what, 6'4"? Had some setbacks at light heavyweight. Um... My hunch is to pick Muniz. Muniz, I think, I generally think pretty highly. He's coming off that loss to Brendan Allen that ended a very long winning streak. But I, th- I think Craig's going to try to grapple with him too much, and that's going to cost him. So I'm going to go with Muniz here, but we'll see what that loss did to him, man. If he lost his confidence because of that, then Craig can pull this off. Lightweights Jai Herbert and Faras Ziam. Feels like a slight gimme for Herbert zayam has been up and down in the UFC, two and three and two rather, sorry. Um been out for less than a year, but in nine and ten months. Um Herbert fought to a draw with Ludovic Klein. <sighs> Herbert could have won that if he hadn't kept fouling Klein. Um again, feels a little bit like they're trying to set him up for a win, so I'll go with Herbert, but Herbert's real hot and cold. Like, when he's on, he's got some serious skills, but I don't think he's consistent enough. And to kick off the main card, we have Lerone Murphy and Josh Koulibau at featherweight. Um, Murphy is actually pretty darn good. He is undefeated, 12-0-1, the one being a draw in, with Zubair Tahugov in his UFC debut. Since then, wins over Ricardo Hamos, Douglas Silva de Andrade, Makwan Amir Khani, and Gabriel Santos. Um, Kulabao, not really someone you should sleep on, though. Kulabao lost his UFC debut, he fought Jalen Turner at lightweight, returned to featherweight for a draw with, uh, Jordan. Then has wins over, um, on Nerd Beke, Sungwoo Choi, and Malsik Bogdasarian. That's not a bad fight. My hunch is to lean Murphy, but by how much? This is a closer fight than some people might think. But that's the main card prelims. Let's see Davy Grant and Daniel Marcos. I like Davy Grant. He's on a two fight winning streak. He had that weird thing with Rafael Asensal when he retired and like that was weirdly handled. Um beat Luis Smolka before that. I I kind of like Davy Grant. Marcos, is he a replacement fighter? I need to check this. Hang on. So, uh, let's see, let's fight. No, this was always this, okay. Um, Marcos is undefeated, fourteen and zero. I Um, he is. He's fought in the UFC before. He's um, Peruvian. Uh, yeah, he won his UFC debut against Simon Oliveira. Back in January, I'm still picking Grant, Uh, but this is not a gimme. I I was incorrect in that assessment. Marcos is not a gimme fight for Mr. Grant. Uh, Let's see. Welterweight, Danny Roberts, and Johnny Parsons. Roberts has been so up and down. On a two-fight losing streak, losses to Francisco Tornaldo, and then he got stopped by Jack Della Maddalena. Parsons are doing eight and three. His nickname is the slugger not. I don't know how to feel about that. a decent winning streak five. Put it this way. If Roberts doesn't get this win, that's not a good sign for him. I think it, how old is he? 35 You know what? I'll pick I this might be a wrong pick. I'll I'll actually go with Parsons here. I think Roberts might be too far on the wrong side of things. Lightweights Mark Chakezy and Joel Alvarez, so Mark Chakezy going to try and wrestle his way to a win. He's coming off a loss to Michael Johnson. I actually think relatively highly of Joel Alvarez, who... He's been out for a while. It's been over a year. Um, His last fight was the loss to Armin Saryukian. It was February of 2022. Um, He had... He fell out of a fight with Zubaira Tuhugov. Don't know why. But... His only losses in the UFC right now are Demiris Magulov and Armin Saryukian. I think pretty highly of Alvarez. I think he probably gets this one done. Heavyweights, because we must suffer. Uh, Mick Parkin and Jamal Poogs. Uh, Mr. Poogs has lost in the UFC, if memory serves. No, he won. He beat Josh Parisian. Why am I thinking he lost? What am I confusing him with. Doesn't matter. Three in a row overall. Um, Parkin, undefeated, 6 and 0. Coming into the UFC here. This is his debut. I don't know. I'm going to flip a coin. Literally about to flip a coin. Heads Parkin' tails poogs. Tails. We go with poogs. Uh, Well, good fight here, actually. Um, We're having a middleweight fight between Brian Barbarina and Mahmoud Muradov. I was kind of on the Muradov hype train for a while, and then unfortunately he's hit a rough patch. Uh, lost to Gerald Murchardt, and then lost to Kyle Bahalio. Now, the Murchardt loss should have been a learning experience, and it turns out Bahalio is actually really good, but Muradov's in a position here where he kind of needs the win. He's 3-2. and two, But that two-fight losing streak, especially after the three-fight winning streak in the UFC, he had a much longer winning streak than that, if we count the whole thing. Um, Barbarina at middleweight is probably a bridge too far for him physically. So I'm going to go with Muradov here to right the ship, but... I mean, Barbarina's on a two-fight losing streak. That's Rafael Desandres and Gunnar Nelson, so you know, it's not like bums. But, you know, Barbarina might be closer to the end than we realize, too. Anyway, Women's Bantamweight next, Ketlin Vieira and Pani Kianzad. Vieira coming off of that split loss to Raquel Pennington. I, did I think she won that? I think she could have won that. Kian Zod is coming off a win over Lena Landsberg. That was well over a year ago, though. October of 20... Or excuse me, April of 2022. Um, this is two top women's bantamweights. Yeah. I'm picking Vieira, but I have no confidence in that. Lightweight, Chris Duncan, and Janel Ashmuz. Both these gentlemen have fought in the UFC before. Um, Duncan, ten and one, one and zero in the UFC. Beat Omar Morales by split decision. That was a pretty good fight. Ashmus, undefeated, seven and zero. Had a wild, I think he had kind of a wild win over Sam Patterson in his UFC debut. Um, I'll go with Ashmooz, I guess. I don't know. That's a tough one to pick. They're, those two are very evenly matched. See women uh, strawweight Shauna uh, yeah, Shauna Bannon and Bruna Brazil. Uh, Brazil eight three and one. Lost the UFC debut to Denise Gomes. Whereas Bannon is five and zero oh, coming into the UFC here. This is her debut. I'll go with Brazil, I guess. I mean, I struggle to pick someone who's five who's only got five wins against someone with double digits. And kicking everything off at flyweight, we have Jafel Filho. Wait a minute. Is he Portuguese? No. He is Brazilian. He's fighting a Portuguese gentleman, though. No, that's Spain. Spanish flag, Dumbo. So, um, point me, that's Jafel. So, Jafel Filio and Daniel Baurez. So, Filio, 14-3. and three, Lost his UFC debut to Mohamed Makayev. He gave the business to Makaya for a bit, though. I remember that. Um, Barrez, 16 and 5, I believe this is debut. Yes, it is. On a decent enough winning streak, four fights overall. It's flyweights should be a good time. Um, it's another tough one to pick. Let me lean towards Fieldho. Uh, field might be wrong about that, one. I'm going to lean towards Phil Ho. So that's the card. I will be covering it next Saturday. Do we know when that starts? And I wish to double-check the start time now. Um, yeah, this is going to be an early morning card because the whole thing's on ESPN Plus, right? So we are starting a bit more prime time in the UK. Prelims will start 3 p.m. Eastern time. I think that's that. I'm going to double check that later, but that's my hunch at the moment. So point being, not the regular start time. Not quite the regular start time for everything. Going to be a little bit earlier. So be on the lookout for that in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. As always, please do stop by, say hello if you are so inclined. I always appreciate it. So let's talk about Francis and Ganu, shall we? As we get into the news here. News broke. We're going to get it some... uh, In the near future. I forget the exact date. Did they announce a date? I know they announced the intent. Hang on. Um. So, Francis Ngannou is going to fight... Tyson Fury in a boxing match... In... Saudi Arabia. I... I am of two minds about this. Okay, yeah, October 28th. Boy, they are loading up. Um, that's July 29th. Um, yeah, so October 28th. Two minds. On the MMA side of things, I am happy for Francis Ngannou. I want you all to understand what this means for him, okay? one, the boatload of internet critics and UFC homers who, after a handful of months, went and gone should go back to the UFC. Um, please. The the fact that we all have such short attention spans and whatnot. Eh. These things take a little bit of time, especially for ne- if you're negotiating. It's not going to happen bang, 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 bang. I mean, at least Daniel Cormier had the good sense to write an essentially an apology piece after he had got on record like, "No, Francis Ngannou fumbled the bag." Like, no, he didn't. And then Cormier said as much. So, we'll give Cormier credit for the intellectual honesty of that. Uh, but here's here's the thing about this, guys. So, if you'll recall, when Anthony Joshua lost his titles to andy ruiz the saudis paid a boatload of money for the rematch to be in saudi arabia anthony joshua got somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 million dollars in an appearance fee understand something the the saudi arabian government i think their tourist board cut him a check for 60 million dollars something in that range just to show up that wasn't his fight purse. That wasn't his sponsorship money. That was just the government of Saudi Arabia saying, take this and come fight here. It was closer to 70. Sorry. There were some conflicting reports about this. It was around 70 millions so or high 60s. Okay. Tyson Fury is probably going to get something similar to that in a site fee. Guaranteed money. They're going to cut him a check for, call it 70. Nganou is probably getting 40 to $50 million dollars just to show up from the Saudi government. Not his fight purse, which will be millions on top of that. Not sponsorships, which will be a chunk on top of that. Not pay-per-view points. Just a giant fat check from this government to be here that check that they're going to cut for him is going to be more money than he made in his entire UFC fight career combined. I am not going to be mad at that man. Uh Uh-uh, not going to do it. As a boxing fan, I am not happy. For a very simple reason. I want to see Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk to unify all four major heavyweight titles because there's never been one of those at heavyweight in the four belt era. I want that fight. That's what I want to see. It's not the most important fight for me to see in boxing, but now that we're getting Spence Crawford and... like Spence Crawford was kind of the big one. With that happening... This is probably I'd have to really think about fights I want to see in boxing more than this one. I might be able to find a couple if I really thought about it. It's one of the top 3 fights that really need to be made in boxing is Nganu excuse me, is Fury and Usyk. And it's not happening. And most boxing people are not happy about that. And I understand why. Again, the boxing side of me is not happy about this. I don't know how this is going to do. I don't know what Nganu's chances are. My hunch is not great. He's got power, but if Fury was able to deal with Wilder's power, he's going to probably be able to deal with Francis's power. So, But this is just about getting paid. And that's what this—that's what fight sports are about. It's a business. It's not a... I, ha- I hate pushing back on this because there's elements of this mentality that I think are good and healthy. Combat sports is not a there's no like martial arts say martial arts value there's there's a theoretical spiritual almost value to the martial arts which are real if you want them to be I I don't mean that like in a diluted way I just mean the transformative power that martial arts can give you as a person is contingent on you as a person being open and willing to change. If you're not, you're the same guy you were, you just now know how to punch, kick, or choke people. The combat sports side of this is a business. There is not a tremendous amount of value in your moral victories or your personal journey. I'm not saying there's no value in it, but there is no monetary value in it, generally speaking, unless you can convert that into success in the ring or the cage. This is about getting paid. It's about getting paid as much as you can, and the fact that the sort of maybe even genuinely noble aspiration of what these what this what a martial arts journey is to an individual got twisted into the UFC signing people for 10 and 10 and be happy to be here it, really disgusting on some levels so France is getting paid fury is getting paid i get it it's not the fight i want to see but i'm I would love to say I could stand on my principles about, you know, the sports washing going on. But if the Saudi Arabian government said, here's $60 million, come do a thing for us. I don't know what I It would depend on what they're asking me to do. But that's not just life changing money. That's like you and your children's life changing money. So anyway, we'll be on the lookout for that October 28th. It exists. So, other news. We have another vacant UFC title. UFC light heavyweight champion Jamal Hill ruptured his Achilles tendon and has vacated the light heavyweight title. That belt is cursed. Jon Jones left a curse on that thing, pardon my nerdy reference incoming, like Voldemort cursed the defense against the dark arts position at Hogwarts. Cormier had it briefly. He relinquished it. Um... Then Jan beat Reyes for it. Jan lost to Glover, who then had that wild fight with Yuri Prochocka. Prochocka got injured and had to vacate. Then Blahovich. And and Malcomad Ankalayev fought for the vacant belt and fought to a draw, so it stayed vacant. So they threw the thing on the line between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. Teixeira almost won that fight and then would have retired, (laughs) vacating it again, which is functionally what we got now that Hill got injured and retired. Yeah, retired. And relinquished the belt. That thing has been vacant four times in five years. Cursed. Absolutely cursed. Don't know what else to tell you. Um, I don't know what they're gonna do with it. There's so coming up, not this week but next week, UFC 291. Jan Blachowicz and Alex Pereira are fighting on that card. Here's the thing. You could throw it into that fight. I don't think that's fair to both guys. When you're two weeks out from the fight, training is stopped. You're done with training camp. You do maintenance work. But you're not really going at it, and you've done all that work for a three-round fight. You train and you plan and you fight. That's all different if it's five rounds versus three. Making that a five-round fight at the last minute would be a that would do a disservice to both of those guys. They might do it anyway, mind you, but I think it would be a disservice to them. If not, we're waiting kind of on Hotchka, whose return seems to be in the near future. Um in, um want to give some credit here to Perhotzka who made a very classy statement like to Jamal Hill like I'm sorry champ I know exactly your pain and I hope you'll come back better than ever and I would love to- I still want to fight you. Hill was very kind in response like that's got to suck in general but you know, light heavyweight is it's almost as in as bad a spot as women's bantamweight like what do you do? So, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. There's, There was a press release for the upcoming 291 card that indicated two title fights. One, in theory, is the pointless BMF belt between Poirier and Gaethje. The other would be Blahovic and Pereira. Um, UFC is claiming that was a typo. It might be. They might have floated the idea, but couldn't make it work. Um, it might have just been an... It might have just been like a form. You, know, you have a form letter that you fill out and they forgot to change part of the text for this event versus a previous one that had two title fights on it. Who knows? A lot of ways that could be, but we'll keep an eye on the Light Heavyweight Division and what they're going to do to try and fix that issue. So, All right. Wow, just about an hour. Okay, that's everything I have written down. Let me check um, Twitter for breaking news. If there's nothing new, we will do plugs and get out of here. No, nothing new. So, plugs. Uh, Let's see. Damn you, Hollywood is basically moving to Monday at this point in time for reasons. So if you're interested in my thoughts on movies, that's Monday now instead of Tuesday. This week... uh, Last week we did a double review of Flamin' Hot and Extraction 2. This week, Monday at 7 uh, p.m. Eastern. Sorry, it will be in the future. There's still a few that are going to be on Tuesday through July. But I think, like, middle of August is when that really kicks over. Um, anywho. Monday, 9 p.m. Eastern, we are talking Mission Impossible. Uh, this is erroneously listed. Sorry, I'm looking at my calendar. it's just erroneously listed. Doesn't matter. Uh, we will be talking Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That is myself, Mark Radelich. I think it's just the two of us, actually. Um, I have thoughts. I didn't love it. I did not love it. Um, not saying it's bad. But I'll go into why on Damn You Hollywood, so tune in for that if you are so inclined. Always appreciate all the support you lend to this and other projects I do. Uh, the next week after that will be Oppenheimer. Uh so be on the lookout for that cuz we're doing I'm I'm not reviewing Barbie. I'm not doing it. So, anyway, be on the lookout for that Mission Impossible this coming Monday. That's the 17th. On the 25th we'll have Oppenheimer. Uh as for my cover as for my other stuff, I cover MMA and professional wrestling over at 411mania.com. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC events on Saturday, and I occasionally pinch hit elsewhere. During the calendar week. So you you can find me at other places on occasion. Alright, next week we will be back here with a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 82 and a preview of UFC 291. Coming to my neck of the woods with violence, baby. Um, I mean, a half joke, but there's a lot of violence on that card, actually, when you look up and down it. So we'll, we'll go over. We'll give the full preview to that one. That's actually a pretty good pay-per-view card. So... Hope to see you next week. Until then, thank you as always. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.